Welcome everyone to the first official episode of Check the Net, Impact 89's new college basketball podcast. I am your host, Josh Guprode, and I am joined today by Impact's own Kylie Tabler and Colin Pearson. A little bit about me, your host. I'm a transfer from the University of Akron. I actually graduated from Akron in May of 2021 uh, with a degree in sports studies, uh, emphasis on coaching education. Uh, during that time, I was working with the Akron Zips men's basketball team. I also spent a little bit of time working with the football team, but I definitely spent more time with basketball, and I was lucky enough to be part of two MAC championship runs, which were incredibly fun. And here at Michigan State, I'm a games and interactive media major. Uh, Kylie, Colin, moving on to you guys, why did you guys want to get involved with starting up this podcast? Yeah, so I've been playing basketball for about nine years, and I've played against a lot of like women's collegiate basketball players, so I think it thought it'd be really interesting and fun for me to kind of get involved in it, and I have a passion for basketball. Awesome, anyway. for sure. As for me, I'm not a basketball player. I have no hand-eye coordination whatsoever, <laughs> but I'm huge on the stats. I'm a bracketology nerd. That's kind of my thing. For sure. Yeah, that's definitely a good mix of you know playing experience, coaching experience, and just, just fan experience. And, and, and analytics and stuff like that, bracketology, I mean, that's, that's stuff that is all-encompassing. And, and college basketball specifically is one of those sports that really it, it brings – the entire country together. I mean, we see this with these recent NCAA tournaments on the men's and women's side. I mean, you have teams from all what feels like every state represented, you know, multiple teams, smaller schools, larger schools. Uh, but we'll start looking at the women's side first. And of course, you know, moving towards a week ago now, or almost a week ago, I should say, LSU did win the title over Iowa, three-seeded LSU. And while it wasn't that great of a game, you know, uh, LSU kind of ran away with it a little bit at the end. A lot of the discussion around that game came after the fact with everything that went on with, of course, Angel Reese, Caitlin Clark, and all that. And leading in with that, I just want to start everything off with I personally don't understand, and I know there's some politics with this, and there's all sorts of that kind of thing, and, and, and all of that is very true, and all of that is very at play with this Angel Reese thing. But from also a basketball standpoint, this backlash to her uh, taunting or whatever you want to call it makes no sense to me because one of the biggest criticisms of the sport in general, especially at the NBA level, has been how friendly everybody is with each other and how everybody is too buddy-buddy and everybody likes the, uh, likes the other team too much and there's no competitive fire. And the women's game right now with Clark and Reese coming back, I mean, to me, this is like Magic Bird but in the, on the women's side. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and, and people are mad about that. Like, I just think it's ridiculous, and it goes against the, that complaint. I mean, where, where do you guys land on, on the, the Angel Reese, Caitlin Clark antics? Oh, I completely agree. It's the magic bird all over again. I mean, we're seeing that even with the numbers of people watching these games. It's entertaining to watch them because they are both very, very good players, and they kind of talk a little trash, you know? They're not... This, like, super friendly person. They are. They are. Don't get me wrong. But they also talk a little bit of trash and get up in your face a little bit. They're exciting to watch as well. Yeah, my thing is kind of what happened to, like, the competitive spirit and, like, what happened to, like, promoting that. I think that they both kind of exemplify that they are both big competitors and they both kind of show it in, sim in similar and in different ways. So honestly, I don't think anything that happened during the championship game, there was anything wrong with any of it. That's just kind of a part of the game, and that's how it's always been, and I don't see a reason to stop it now. Like I think it adds to it, and it adds to the value of watching it. Definitely. And yeah, and I was 
pretty surprised when everything blew up too with the backlash because like how, how we're all saying you know it, it's it's interesting the ratings were higher than ever you know it was really big on that front um but but kind of looking at they a lot of people seem to have issues with the difference of how uh clark and reese went about their trash talking uh whether it was in game after the play you know things like that um, any any problems uh, that you guys had with those type of things or anything like that? Because I like Kylie just said, I kind of think all of it's cool. I don't really have a problem with it either way. I know some people were saying like the Clark stuff was out of line first, and then the Reese was out of line too, and then some people were saying Reese took it too far. I think all of it's fantastic. I think all of it's entertaining. Where do you guys land on that? Mine's well, just kind of about it's people show passion in different ways for sure. And if Reese Reese is loud about her passion, and that's awesome. And Caitlin is a little more quieter about her passion. And that's also awesome to see. So I guess being able to see that in different ways kind of also extends to that different personalities. And there's nothing wrong with having different personalities in basketball. There's plenty of them everywhere. So I don't see a problem with it at all. Exactly. It's just a difference of personalities. That's exactly what I was going to say. I mean, you look at those two players. They're very different people. They're unique. And they play different styles of play. Mm -hmm. And they talk different styles of trash. I mean, that's just how it works. And it's really exciting to see both of those. Well, and how both of you are talking about the expressiveness. Basketball is, in my opinion, the most expressive sport, especially at least in America, in America where soccer isn't as big as around the world. Maybe I shouldn't say the most expressive sport because soccer is very expressive and you can see their faces. It's very similar where there's no helmet, stuff like that. So, so I, I would go with soccer on an international level. But in America, definitely, I would say, at the forefront, it is basketball. Absolutely. Because football, you have helmets. Hockey, you have helmets. Even baseball, you have helmets. Basketball, you see the emotions so much more clearly on the coaches, on the players. And and I think that stuff like what Reese and Clark got into is great. But I want to move on to something a little broader than that for a second. And Colin, you and I talked in the pilot a little bit about how the women's side is typically dominated by higher seeds. There's a little bit of less emphasis on the transfer portal, so there's a lot less shakeup on a year-to-year basis. But we did see a three seed win the national championship this year. Where would that rank on a scale of upsets in terms of the women's side? I mean, is that is that a relatively large upset in your guys' opinion from the perspective of the women's game, or you know, is a three seed still a pretty heavy favorite? I'd say from a perspective of the women's tournament, that was a pretty big upset. Obviously, it's a three seed. You know, you expect them to be good. They were ranked pretty much all year, LSU was. But you also have to look at like, okay, but when was the last time we saw a three seed win? It was it was quite a while ago. And often it's overlooked that like the ones and twos usually just completely go out there and dominate. And then the Elite Eight is where it starts getting exciting in the women's tournament. This year we had some excitement all shaken up in even the round of 32 and 64, which really made it a good tournament and kind of allowed for that three-seed LSU to make it that far. Yeah, you typically have, like, for the past few years, it's been, like, one-seed South Carolina winning, one-seed Stanford winning, UConn starting some titles at one or two seeds. You don't really see anything other than that. And that's just kind of how women's basketball kind of shakes out. Your teams are the top teams are going to dominate no matter what, and I think that no one expected LSU to come in like that at all. Especially not for me watching them lose to South Carolina by twenty during the season. That was crazy. I did not think that they were going to make it as far as the tournament as they did. And watching them do it, them coming back against Virginia Tech was insane. They came back by like twelve or fourteen, 
and ended up beating them. That was a crazy game to watch as well. So I think they just came out of the tournament and they played to win. They shocked everybody. And that's what's just so exciting, even about women's basketball. Like, that's just crazy. Yeah, and there's there's some interesting stories with that coaching staff, too, with, with the Louisiana connections and the different title runs at the different schools uh, uh, with Kim Mulkey. I think that was really interesting. And just just the whole thing with – there's so many stories. I don't remember a women's title game with so many storylines um, off the court in, in, in a myriad of ways, you know, good, bad, you know, which is just interesting because, like Colin said earlier, you know, the ratings were higher than ever. And, and uh, that, that shows just how much attention this matchup and these players are grabbing. One of those players being Caitlin Clark – who, by many accounts, is the best player in the college game right now, soon to be one of the best players in the pro game. She is poised to return next year. Uh, any thoughts on Caitlin Clark and I was looking forward to next season? They did graduate quite a few girls, I believe. I believe that they have most of their starting five leaving, except for Clark. But it'll be interesting to see what they, who they brought in to kind of build around her. I think that was part of Iowa's problem. They didn't have a lot of people around her. They had some really good players, but... Once they got into foul trouble, it was hard for the bench to kind of come in and help her out. So hopefully they got some good recruits to come in and kind of help help Caitlin Clark out a little bit. But I think that doesn't mean that they're not going to be as good. I think they're going to be just as good as they were this year. Yeah, I think Iowa's going to have to do some work in the transfer portal and in recruiting over these next, especially next year, uh, before next year. But I think they're going to be just as good because Caitlin Clark, I mean, she was the dominant force on that team. 30-some points pretty much every game. And really for a team like that to be scoring consistently around half of your points with one player, you just got to hope she doesn't get in foul trouble or get injured. Um, But as long as she stays healthy, I think Iowa's going to be just as good because she is that dominant. I I think that's the most interesting thing about this whole, whether you want to call it a scandal, just a championship, it's that... Like we've said already, they're both coming back, and it's going to be so much fun. I don't. I think next season will probably be the most highly anticipated women's basketball season in I don't even know how many years. Definitely recent memory, probably since UConn was going for number four a yeah. couple of years ago, yep. almost a decade ago at this point when they were going for their fourth in a row. Which we'll get you know we'll get into more about UConn in a little bit, but I don't think. Since then, there's been a season that has been this highly, and, and because it's already exciting. I mean, I'm I'm looking forward to it now, just because mm-hmm. there's a chance that they might match up again. Um, but as we wrap up talking about that championship in the women's tournament, any highlights from the tournament at large? There was a lot of big upsets, more than we usually see in the women's side. One of my favorite moments, um, kind of the joint between the men's and women's. I really thought it was funny that Miami was able to knock out Indiana in both the men's and women's tournaments as the lower seed. I also just thought the Miami upset on the women's side was an incredible game. Uh, that was a much larger um, seeding gap than the matchup on the men's side, which was a 4-5 matchup, which was pretty closely contested. Um, and that was a very major upset for the Miami women's team over Indiana. And I, I thought that was that was one of the moments for me when I thought that the tournament was really going to get interesting because that level of upset is something you don't typically see on the women's side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly what I saw. I saw a very similar game, uh, Ole Miss versus Stanford, where Ole Miss as an eight seed took down Stanford being number one. And honestly, Stanford, one of the favorites to win. Um, I personally picked Stanford to win in my bracket. So... 
as upset I as I was at in the moment, um, Ole Miss was winning most of that game. Stanford tied it up. Ole Miss had two steals in the last thirty seconds to hold that lead and win. And I just really respected that level of play for Ole Miss. Um, thought that kind of level of upset was unusual for the women's tournament, although not necessarily this year. Um, but yeah, that was just a great game for me. Yeah, no, I had to take it to the final four. Iowa beating undefeated South Carolina. I did not expect that to happen. I had South Carolina winning it. Part of me wanted them to go it, go at it for a, get another one, but that was a crazy game to watch. I mean, South Carolina dominated inside, but they just could not guard Caitlin Clark. And that she's so fun to watch. She had, I believe, she had forty one points that game. She is electric to watch, but. I was just sad. Um, I grew up in the same area as Zaya Cook, who just declared for the NBA draft. She's this is her last year at South Carolina, and I kind of wanted her to see her get another one. But watching Clark, I mean, they deserve that one a hundred percent. Absolutely, and and so looking at that, um, do we expect South? Uh, excuse me, uh, LSU and Iowa to meet again in the championship next year? Because South Carolina seems to be the one. I mean, they graduated seven seniors, but that seems to be. The one program that's really, and especially being in the same conference as LSU, um, but I mean, is that is that is everybody just poised and ready to go for Iowa LSU round two? I don't know. I think Don Staley's going to bring it with her recruiting. She is a great coach. Um, I love watching her coach. I love what she does for her girls. So I think she's going to wrap up some really good recruits, and I I'm excited to see the girls that she has co- that she had coming off the bench this year. I'm excited to see them in the game. Yeah, I'm excited for next year too. I mean. It's obviously a little too early to tell, you know, where the seeds will be. That's like almost a whole year out. But I really do think Iowa LSU will meet up again next year, and uh, that may break the records that were set this year in terms of viewership. I'll be honest, because that's a phenomenal rematch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I could definitely see that. And, and they almost uh, out outpaced the men's side in terms of viewership this year, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. which was pretty impressive. Moving on to that men's side, another – Championship over a five seed for UConn. It Ooh. seems like a very weird. That's not a shot either, but that's just. It's. I don't know. It's. It's a, it's a trend. It's a theme. It's just something that UConn always seems to do. It's not a good thing or a bad thing. I guess it's just lucky. But they they always seem to get these matchups against these Cinderella darlings, and then you know they flex their talent and they kind of run away with it. Um, before we move into some of the some of the bigger topics about UConn, and of course I want to talk about Dan Hurley a little bit because that's such a great story. What did you guys think of the run itself and this UConn team specifically? I mean, they were great. They were so strong defensively. They were strong offensively on the boards. I mean, they were and they were a good shooting team. I mean, I thought they were very good, and they completely dominated their side of the bracket. The national championship game was very much a defensive game, and just like a lot of their games. I mean. They beat Gonzaga by about 30 points. That's got to be unheard of, especially in, like, Sweet 16 Elite Eight territory. That's insane. Like, I was not expecting that whatsoever. I, I thought they 100% probably had the best shot on their side. And then I was proved right, which was super satisfying. Nice. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, I was looking at it earlier. I think everyone kind of underestimated how good the Big East was this year, especially after the past few years where they've kind of been a lower level. There was even talk right before the tournament about, like, is the Big East still a power six or should we knock it back down to the power five? And uh, I think the Big East kind of proved themselves this year. Three teams in the Sweet 16, which was tied for first with the SEC. And all three of those SEC teams lost um, compared to two of the Big East teams won. I really do think the Big East kind of proved themselves. Mm -hmm. And 
no one really expected them to be as good as they were, but we kind of should have seen it coming. Yeah, it's kind of a return to form to the old Big East. It's just none of the familiar faces. You know, Syracuse isn't there anymore, you know, Pitt. But it's just as strong as it used to be in those days, which people tend to forget that just because it's not those same programs, it can still be just as formidable of a league. But, you know, thinking about it, that's the fifth championship for the UConn men's program. They also have 11 championships on the women's side. Is that the single greatest program, you know, cumulatively in college basketball right now? A hundred percent. I mean, you can't top that. Honestly, I don't see any other women's basketball teams matching up to what the women's team at UConn has done. Like Gino Ariyama is a great coach, recruits great, um, has had so many great outcomes. I mean, they had three straight. They were going for four, which was exciting. Um, And then their men's team, I mean, that amount of championships is crazy. Like they're matching up. I don't see any other women's team supporting a men's team like that. So no, I think that they're the clear winner. I, I can agree with that. It's been very, very dominant, both men's and women's sides for UConn, even though the men's side has kind of had their ups and downs over the past few decades, you know. Um, it's The women's team kind of picks up any of that slack that the men's team left, leaves behind and really, really pushes it. Yeah, and so I definitely agree that they're the best program cumulatively with and I think it's unique that the women's side does carry like that even mm-hmm. though the men's side has been so successful I think that's a great point Kylie because you don't usually see a program on the women's side that clears by so much I mean yeah. it's so I mean they the UConn men's team is four tied fourth all time in national championships right now and the women's team has double over double what they have um, but looking at just the men's team then, because that women's team does seem to carry, you know, in that all-time conversation, they're clearly the, in my opinion, it seems like all of our opinions, the best women's program in history at this moment. Where does the men's team rank on the men's side? Because there's some interesting stuff here. Case in point, uh, the five championships in 25 seasons for UConn has only also been done by Duke and UCLA. Three championships in the last 13 years with three different coaches has never been done by any other team. Uh, this season, they had the sixth greatest overall point differential in NCAA history on a title run, and they won all six of their games by at least 13 points. But they're only 25th all-time in total victories, so at least they seem pretty inconsistent. What are the thoughts on UConn men's all-time? I mean, I think at this point, you got to give them that blue blood title. I mean, it just kind of depends on how you look at it because – a lot of the Blue Blood teams, I mean, they weren't that great this year. I mean, Duke, U, uh, UNC, not great teams, honestly. They didn't. UNC didn't even make it into the tournament. Right. And then Duke lost in, I believe, what, the second round? Yeah, Tennessee. Yep. They lost Tennessee in the second round. So I think, I guess every team will have their up and down years. I think just because UConn has had more of it d- will never take anything away from their five championships. Yeah, and I do think it's funny that last year's Final Four was all Blue Bloods, and then this year they were claiming none even though UConn really, really should deserve that title of a blue blood by this point, um, especially with the last 25 years, what they've done. You know, before, like, the year 2000-ish, they really weren't that dominant of a program. They were good, you know, but they definitely didn't deserve that title before that point, and now they definitely do. Yeah, and and a lot of great stories, it feels like, on the UConn side, too. It kind of feels like more people should have superstitiously picked this UConn team based on how many interesting storylines and and just kind of underdog storylines a lot of these players, this coaching staff has. Uh, One great example being Dan Hurley. 
who, you know, constantly gets compared to both his father and his brother in this basketball career type of light. Um, obviously, first national championship run as a coach, first NCAA tournament wins at UConn. They actually got bounced by 10 seed Maryland two years ago and 12 seed New Mexico State last year. Uh, he did have two NCAA tournament wins at Rhode Island. He moved uh, Rhode Island to the second round two years in a row before coming to UConn, but he had actually not won an NCAA tournament game at UConn before this, and then he ripped off a national title run. What are the thoughts on Dan Hurley? And maybe even uh, a great story from this UConn team in general. I know Sonogo has some very great stories behind him. Some other guys on that team are very interesting. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, Dan Hurley, just a great story. Sonogo, I find it funny um, just knowing Mari Suzoko's story. (laughs) They come from the same town. I mean, they have... I mean, I can't say similar stories, but they do have the similar um, childhood of growing up in Mali, which is not a basketball country, but they definitely both kind of picked it up recently and really, really just took it and ran with it. Um, kind of working, their their work ethic really shines through, especially Sonogo uh, and Suzoko. For sure. Yeah, and I, I think that's a really interesting story. And I think the th- interesting thing to me with UConn is kind of similar to how you don't see um, a women's program carrying a men's program in that all-time discussion. You don't usually see a national championship on the men's or women's side, or uh, it happens very infrequently, where the clear best emotional story is the head coach. And I think that this Dan Hurley story is incredible. I haven't felt this type of you know, passive or secondhand, you know, joy for somebody else accomplishing something, somebody I've never even met in a very long time. Um, they've been, there's been a lot of talk this week and uh, Hurley has talked himself in interviews about how being from a coaching family and things like that, it's just different. And there are things that uh, the, the higher level of competitiveness with even just your brothers and your dad and stuff like that. When I was working for the University of Akron, I had the privilege of working for one year uh, as a football assistant under Terry Bowden, that's a very big coaching football family with the Bowdens and everything. There was, I want to say, three to four Bowdens on that staff at various levels. And I got a very good glimpse from them about just how seriously some of that coaching family stuff can be. And also, you know, I, I got to work underneath Dustin Ford at the University of Akron, who his brother is the head coach at Stony Brook. He's the associate head coach at Akron. And just through talking with those guys and watching those guys, you see how differently people that come from those types of families. And you hear similar things with athletes where like the Watt family, where all of the brothers are very skilled and stuff like that, where it's just different. Like the the level of competition, the level of pride that they put into things, it just, just reaches another level because it's, it's personal because it's family, but you also know that it's, it's, it's a support system. And I just think that's really interesting. I'm very happy for Dan Hurley. And I'm glad that people are giving that story the spotlight that it should get, because I think a lot of times, especially in today's day and age, if the coach is the focal point of the story, it's probably a negative story. Yeah, It's probably some type of scandal or some type of shortcoming where if the coach is not directly involved in the scandal, they screwed up and didn't prevent the scandal or didn't properly report the scandal. It's never something good. And this is like there's no downside to this. This is just a guy that's always been an incredibly hard worker 
who has never really been able to step out from that shadow that his family isn't putting on him. That's, you know, media and stuff like that. Those comparisons aren't from his dad and his brother, but I'm sure they also come from himself, you know? I mean, Mm -hmm. because those are his family members. He wants to be, you know, he wants to be just as successful as them. And it's not that he wasn't before this because he was incredibly successful, but winning a national title really cements him as an equal in that context. Yeah, that sibling rivalry really does push. I can say that personally uh, for my siblings. Um, Yeah, that sibling rivalry, definitely a factor in his motivation and in his um, coaching talent. Everyone loves a guy you can root for. And this year was definitely a a coach that we and a guy that we could 100% root for. So it's really, really great to see it. Definitely. And you know, wild tournament in general, any outside of the championship and UConn's fantastic run, any specific highlights, games that stood out? I'm sure there were a lot just because the men's side was so crazy. But Colin, we can start with you on this one. Any any standout games or memorable moments for you? Yeah, I've got two of them. Uh, first of all, one of the first games of the tournament, Furman beats Virginia in just a wild game. Uh, Virginia falls for, what, the third year in a row as the higher seed, and Furman, I had a pick to my bracket. I'd been watching them for a little bit, but they're just, they really, really took off with that game and did exactly what they wanted to do, and that was win, and they they really uh, showed the country who they were at that moment because that was kind of the indicator that this tournament was going to get wild very quickly. Um, the other one, Florida Atlantic beating Kansas State, in the Elite Eight was just a phenomenal game. Um, no one, I don't, I think I speak for most people when I say almost no one thought that FAU could pull it off um, and definitely not in the dominant nature that they kind of did. The score really didn't reflect how great FAU was playing compared to Kansas State and especially Kansas State coming off of that overtime victory over Michigan State, which hurt personally as a Michigan State (laughs) student. Um, But especially with that, Florida Atlantic really kind of showed Kansas State who was boss in that game, and it was exciting to watch. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna take it a little bit. Those are both great ones. One of my favorites was definitely Purdue's loss to FDU. Um, It was just it was really shocking. I think we all expected a lot more out of Purdue, especially having the the AP Player of the Year in Zach Eady. I think we all expected a lot more from them, and we thought that he could take them farther. I know a lot of people had them winning it. I personally did not because I was like, I don't think there's any way. But I at least had them making it further than the first round. But I always love to see a good upset, and a 16 seed and a 1 seed is very rare. I think this is, what, the third time in men's Second. and women's history? Oh, men's third, and women's. Third in men's and women's, yes. Yeah, so that was extremely exciting to see. And then also being an MSU student, um, MSU making their little bit of a run and beating USC and Marquette. That was so exciting to watch. Um, a lot of people I know didn't think they'd beat USC. I had faith in them. And then the Marquette game, I know. Also, a lot of people did not have faith. That was exciting to watch. I was sitting in a work meeting watching the game simultaneously. And it took everything within me not to jump up and down with excitement in the middle nice. of my meeting. So, no, that was that. their little run was great. And it gets me very excited for next season. That's awesome. Yeah, and it's funny that you mentioned that a lot of people or it felt like a lot of people were kind of trending USC in that one. Mm-hmm. I actually, so my dad and I do a bracket pool where everybody buys in, you get two teams, one on each, like one on each side so you can meet yourself in the championship. Every you play it by the spreads, if your team covers but you lose, you steal the other guy's team. 
okay. and you move forward that way. So you you, you can move the, just so the plays by the spreads. I ended up with Mich- or with USC mm. is my point. Why I bring this up, and I knew instantly that I was totally screwed because USC wasn't fa- you know wasn't favored, but it was only. A point and a half, I think, was the closing spread. So basically, USC had to win that game outright against Michigan State for me to have any sort of chance in this pool <laughs> that I was in. And I knew there was no way, and that's exactly what happened. So I, it's just funny that you mentioned that because I did also think that a lot of people were training USC, and I just had no positive feeling about USC whatsoever in that matchup. Yeah. Also was very excited about the Marquette game. I think my biggest one was definitely Princeton's run. I have a buddy from back in those Akron days who's cousins with Matt Aloko. And so I was following that one very closely because Matt Aloko is a good old boy from Hilliard, Ohio. And I have some friends out that way. And so I was very happy for Matt. And we were all just watching that. And also in that same pool, my dad had Princeton. And so he had a fun time getting to watch Princeton go the distance, and he needed them to just cover, and they ended up winning outright, which was pretty fun for him. He won a lot of money on that. And I bet a lot of people won a lot of money. I have that written down here for one of my highlights. I just bet a lot of people had a lot of fun with different pools and different brackets absolutely, because it was just so chaotic. Looking forward to next year, it's a little more hectic on the men's side with the transfer portal and all that, which, of course, we're going to have our big transfer portal episode sometime next week. But – Way too early favorites on the men's side. Where are we looking next year? Maybe not outright title favorites, but who who are the who are going to be the biggest fish on the men's side next season? All right. Uh, again, looking at the transfer portal next year or next week, but Michigan State is going to be insane next year as long as the guys stay. Um, you know, we don't graduate too many guys, and they don't leave for the draft. And then the other team I was really looking at is Florida Atlantic. They are not losing many people out there. They are going to stay dominant, and they are moving up to the American. With Houston moving out, I think that's going to be a huge season for them. I think they could have another 30-plus win season just in season, let alone the conference championship and hopefully some wins in the national tournament too. Yeah, and Florida Atlantic is very interesting because uh, I, I'm I'm mistaken a little bit, but it's either they're returning all five starters or the top five scorers, which either one of those is great. Both. Like, mm-hmm. so it's both. So okay, um, so I thought I I thought I heard those, and I was worried that I was mixing them up, but no, they're just both true. That's awesome. Yes, okay. the only guy that's on their team that's a senior, he scores like an average of like three or four points a game, and um, sits the bench most of those games. So he is. He's he's a fine player, you know. He For gets sure. a lot of assists and stuff, but he's definitely not the backbone of that program. That program's going to be really, really good next year. Absolutely, Kylie. What about you? Looking forward to next season. Yeah, so I'm also going to hop on the MSU bandwagon. Um, being an MSU student kind of helps with that, but we have a really, really great freshman group coming in for next year. Highly anticipated by any student here, any fan. Very excited. The, the chair on top would be having our, our boys, Walker and Hall, coming back. That would be amazing. But I think regardless, we're going to have a great season. I think UConn could go it again. I 100% think so. I don't think they were losing too much, to my knowledge. I could be wrong about that completely. Oh. But I think that they can 100% do it again. And that'd also be a great back-to-back. I'd like to see that as well. Yeah, I, I like Marquette. 
But it's just because, and I know Marquette lost to Michigan State, and it's not that I'm picking anybody over anybody else because I think very valid points all around, but I do think that we can't have a general college basketball podcast and all Homer pick Michigan State. That's fair. That's very fair. it's very good points, but I got to mix it up a little bit and try to play devil's advocate a little bit because Marquette at least needs mentioned they are bringing so much back. They have a great coaching staff, and they have the one thing that normally against Michigan State, it didn't prove to be an equalizer because Michigan State obviously pulled off that upset and turned in a great performance in that game. But typically, having such a floor general like that is a great equalizer in the tournament. And I was actually expecting them to make a much deeper run because of that. Turns out Michigan State's floor generals just did a much better job in that game. But I think Marquette coming back next year, they also bring back the Big East sixth man of the year. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is big. So it's not just their starting five that's remaining intact. Their whole rotation shouldn't miss a beat. And they were a two seed with that rotation as is. All of those guys should get better. All of those guys, you know, should move up in terms of productivity. Obviously, not all of them will, but I see big things for Marquette in the future. Other than that, we're going to move to our final segment. This is going to be a recurring segment on our show. We're going to call this Full Court Press. And we're going to give each one of us, a couple minutes to just go off any which way about whatever we want. It has to be loosely college basketball related or basketball related. Can't be anything that'll get anybody in trouble. Fair enough. And (laughs) there's no time limit. There's nothing. there's There's no rules other than those two rules. Anybody can go off about anything, and I will go first because I have something that I really want to talk about as we look towards next week and the Transfer Portal episode that we're going to put together. And I want to talk about mid-major and JUCO transfers and mid-major and JUCO transfer appreciation because those guys are awesome, and those guys are such pivotal parts of championship teams and big-name teams People don't realize how many of those guys are just hidden in these elite programs. Alabama has Mark Sears starting at point guard, guy transferred from Ohio last year. He was a great player for them, started every game this year. No, you know, Noah Gurley, another one who's played in almost every game for Alabama the last two years, was a transfer from Furman. You know, that's a very big pickup for them. Now, not a starter, obviously saw less playing time as they got better over the last two years, but still remained an integral part of that process. And Alabama didn't win the tournament this year, but that was a lot of people's heavy favorite. I mean, they seemed like, and there was some controversy there again, you know, off the court. But I mean, from a basketball standpoint, that was a lot of people's heavy favorite. That was a clear number one seed. And two of the key rotational guys were star players in mid-major conferences before that. I remember when we were at Akron, the first MAC championship run I was a part of, all five starters on that team were transfers. Two of them were from JUCO, and then one was from East Carolina, one was from Dayton, and one was from Long Beach State, all of which are mid-majors, one of which is bigger than Akron, Dayton obviously being a pretty big program, but those other being smaller schools, you know, Long Beach State, not a very big program. You know, East Carolina, bigger school, but not a very big basketball program. You know, that's more of a football school. And, you know, they powered a team to a conference championship just by throwing a bunch of transfers together that gelled. In the, and I think the other thing is these guys are a lot hungrier, especially the JUCO guys. Oh, I, I sure. became very familiar at Akron with a lot of guys that had made it through the JUCO circuit. And the JUCO guys have such an intensity to them. 
that you really it just makes you really want to root for them no matter what. And looking at the transfer portal already, I know we're going to do a deep dive next week, but Clemson picked up Jake Heidbreder from uh, Air Force. And that is another one of those guys. I was looking at the transfer rankings, and a lot of the transfer portal rankings are done by high school stats or high school stars because the guys don't play as much and you kind of you don't really have a lot of high school or college stuff to go on. But this guy is not even getting talked about. He ever used all Mountain West. You know, last year transfers out, now he's going to Clemson. I'm not saying he's going to be all ACC, but I mean that just seems like a guy that could really power a team to something further. Mm-hmm. And I just really think that sticks with the theme of I just wanted to riff a little bit about mid-major guys because I think they get slept on. I don't think they're appreciated enough. And they don't always make it to the NBA and dominate at that level, but you see them always popping up, you know, on the Villanovas, the Baylors, Alabama, these these dominant teams from the last couple of years, all of them have some type of mid-major or JUCO transfer somewhere in there, and I just think that's awesome. Exactly. Yeah, uh, I'm going to riff a little bit about um, expanding the NCAA uh, tournament, especially on the men's side. I am a huge advocate for that. I think that it gives a lot of the smaller conferences more opportunities to have their great teams in. I know personally, because I'm from the area, University of Toledo did not make it into the tournament this year because they lost in the MAC tournament to Akron, not Akron, Kent State. And um, that perturbed me a lot because Toledo was a phenomenal team this year in the MAC. They They won the MAC. They just lost in the tournament. So I think expanding... The tournament would give those smaller D1 conferences a chance, more of a chance to have their teams in because there are a lot of very good teams that go through those smaller conferences that just don't make it in the tournament. Same thing on the women's side with um, BGSU women's uh, losing to University of Toledo women's um, in the MAC tournament. UT went and they ended up, I forget who they beat, but they won their first game in the women's tournament and everyone was shocked about that. I was super excited, but... BGSU women's went and made it to the final four of the NIT. So you've got a lot of these very, very talented, smaller uh, conferences that only get one team in. I think that expanding it would allow more talent to get in. It also make for a more exciting march for us, the, the viewers, being able to watch more games, seeing more excitement with more teams. And I think that we'd get a more, more of a variation of winners and we'd see a lot more upsets. So that's what I want. I'm in it for the drama. I'm in it for the excitement of upsets. So, yeah. Yeah, and I uh, I can definitely agree with that. I was looking particular, particularly at Conference USA this year with Florida Atlantic in the Final Four, North Texas as the NIT champions, University of Alabama-Birmingham as the NIT runner-up, and Charlotte as the CBI champion, and then Rice... Almost, almost taking the semifinal in CBI. It was a close game. Um, But I look at all those teams, and I see, okay, if some of those teams had been allowed in the tournament, they would have won. But I also look, all five of those teams are moving this year. This is conference realignment. This is the era we're living in, and the chaos of conference realignment. Those teams, those five, are all moving to the American Conference next year, which will also keep teams like Memphis, but it's losing teams like Houston. So I I really, really am kind of passionate about this conference realignment because this is going to cause some real chaos in the next few years. I love the look of Oklahoma and Texas in the SEC. You know, uh, USC and UCLA moving to the Big Ten should be crazy exciting. 
it's going to be annoying, you know, those 9 p.m. Pacific games, you know, <laughs> but I I can't argue with that. And of course, the Big 12, you you can't help but be excited about BYU, um, UCF, Cincy, and Houston all taking on the Big 12. Um, that's going to make some really, really exciting, especially basketball matchups. Um, but I'm also looking at some of those smaller conferences where we see teams that are pretty regulars, you know, in the tournament, Kennesaw State, Liberty, New Mexico State, those teams are all joining Conference USA. It's not like these conferences are leaving anyone behind. It's just going to be a complete realignment of who's playing who, and I think it's really going to give a big opportunity for some of those smaller conferences to start making names for themselves as that next conference in college basketball. Um, but especially the American, um, with all those conference USA teams, they were already kind of that sort of talked about, but ignored name in college basketball as the conferences go. And I think with those teams, it's going to be a madhouse over there. Um, yeah, very really, tough conference for mm-hmm. sure. Really could make for some really exciting, um, conference championship, but also a really exciting set of teams in the tournament if the committee chooses to put more than one in, which they should. They absolutely should. Yeah, and I think, you know, both of those great points all around. I I definitely want to jump on the expansion a little bit more just because that is something that I care very much about also. I think that, and hitting on Toledo is perfect because (laughs) I think back to, there was uh, an episode of the NBA show here at Impact Courtside Convo where I, I, we talked about some guys, some rookies and stuff like that. And I made sure to talk about Ryan Rollins because I just wanted to talk about the Toledo guy. I thought he, I thought, I think he's going to have a very bright future. I think he landed in the perfect spot in Golden State. But looking at the Mac, I've been, there have been many years where I thought the Mac had two deserving teams. Absolutely. For sure. And they just won't get them in. I don't know what's going on there. This because, year, I'd even argue three. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. And, and I mean, you look at, it's not just the, like, oh, like, I know I have experience in the conference, but it's also like, look at how they actually do in the NCAA tournament. We have seen Kent State, obviously this year they didn't beat Indiana, but we have seen them make Sweet 16s before. Mm-hmm. We have seen Ohio make a Sweet 16 before. You know, we have seen other programs, you know, Ball State, you know, longer ago, but Ball State, Miami of Ohio, Akron, all make significant runs at different points in time. And I don't know why, especially given the number of NBA guys that still come out of the MAC, yeah, that between guys that transfer out of the MAC and then make it to the NBA somewhere else, or guys that just make it out of the MAC. I mean, I saw the other day, Jonathan Williams from Buffalo last year signed with the Portland Trailblazers for the two years. He was in the G League. He just got a two-year contract fulfilled off of 10 days. I mean, uh, you know, that's another MAC guy. Jason mm-hmm. Preston's got commercials everywhere. You know, there Mark Sears will be another one eventually. I, I mean, that's definitely a conference that should get more people in. And about the American Conference, I think you nailed it because that's one of those leagues where – I like how you phrase it because it's not really a mid-major anymore, but it's not really like a power five, but it's it's kind of just like like nobody it's that league nobody wants to play. Exactly. Because the, they're not they're not bad enough for the power fives to view them as like schedule softeners or, you know, tune up games or whatever you want to call it. And they're and they're too good for the smaller schools to try to pick off. I mean they're not they're not gonna get taken out by, you know, 
a smaller program from a you know a conference half their size they're they're typically good at playing to their level of competition which i think leads into your point about the NCAA tournament i think but besides the big east and who i think is just going to be walloping people in the NCAA tournament for a very long time especially the next few yeah. years yes i think i think you're spot on i think the american conference is, is really poised to to make some big splashes and it's an interesting shakeup and I, I like that you mentioned the CBI and the other tournaments too because the top seeds in those tournaments struggled a lot. Oh, absolutely! I mean, we watched two of the one seeds in the um, in the NIT. Two of them lost like bad. They were not even close games. You know, we're watching these teams: Rutgers, Clemson, who are really like. Everyone's saying, oh, that should have been a tournament team. And then they get smoked by Hofstra, you know. Yeah, Moorhead State, yeah, and on the Clemson side, yeah. And this kind of dynamic of, okay, maybe there's not as much division between these top conferences and the mid-majors as we thought, you know. For sure. Well, that should wrap us up for today. We will be back next week with our Transfer Portal episode. We will have more ideas for the future. We also will have a Twitter account up by the end of this weekend. This obviously is being recorded Thursday night, and we will have this up by midday Friday, tomorrow, April 7th. Of course, shout out to podcast director Rachel Fulton, sports director Brendan Shabath, everybody at Impact for making this possible. Kylie, Colin, thank you both for being here. This was a lot of fun today, guys. Yes, thank you so much. All right, we are done for today. We'll see everybody next week.